You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by Monash Education's new Master of Educational Leadership. Develop your professional knowledge and skills to reach your full potential as a leader. Flexible learning options allow you to continue to work while studying. Visit monash.edu forward slash education forward slash lead for more information or to apply now. Hello, and thank you for downloading this behaviour management podcast from Teacher Magazine. I'm Jo Earp. Building positive relationships is at the centre of the behaviour management strategies used by Dapto High School. The additional focus on boys' well-being has seen the school volunteer for the Top Blokes Mentoring Programme and create a new staff role, Boys Mentor. My guests for this episode of Behaviour Management are DAPTO High School's Deputy Principal Daniel Innes and Boys Mentor Andrew Horsley. They'll be taking us through the mentoring approach, how it works alongside some of the other behaviour management strategies at the school and some of the savings it's led to in time and money. There's a lot to get through, so let's get started. Daniel, thanks for joining us today. Now, before we start talking about the programme itself, um, can you give me a little bit of context about the school, first of all? Yeah, no worries. So we are a school in the Illawarra. We are approximately 950, proudly comprehensive. We are sort of just south of Wollongong with um, a range of students from year 7 to 12, which means a student can arrive on our doorstep day one of the year actually still being 11, um, mostly they're going to be 12 or 13 and they go all the way through to the age of 18 and uh, staff wise we're about on any given day up to about 90 staff, that includes uh, support staff and um, some of our uh, ancillary staff as well. Mm-hmm. And you're the deputy principal there, we've also got Andrew Andrew Horsley um, with us who's the, the boys mentor. Now um, Andrew, your school's been involved in the trial of the junior top blokes mentoring program in New South Wales there. Uh, We'll talk about the program itself and how that fits into a wider approach in a moment. But first, I wanted to understand what prompted you to volunteer for the trial. I started working with top blokes probably about seven years ago. Um, That's when I initially was um, introduced to the organisation through my head teacher, um, well, Welfare in those days, now it's called Wellbeing. And she just said, we've got a... um, got a, a program that's aimed at boys and it, it was a sort of out of left field a little bit because I'd just come off being a year advisor for the last six years and was looking for something to do and you know, all the time I'd been involved in teaching there hadn't been in a school I'd been at something which was like targeting directly boys and, and boys well-being and so she pitched the idea to me she said Andrew we want a male to head it up and as I said, because I'd just come off being a year advisor and a PE teacher in the school, I had a lot of connections with guys and um, selected some students and, and away we went. And that was seven years ago. Initially, um, when I started working um, with the Top Blokes program, I, I, I was just, I did it because I've always been pretty heavily involved in the wellbeing of, of kids, especially boys. And so from my involvement in that program, then the boss created a role and in terms of the role it's a 
it's not a monetary role. It's just a role where there is a release. Mm-hmm. So I get a period allowance um, mm-hmm. from my face-to-face teaching. So I can follow through, you know, in terms of this program and other programs we run at our school for boys. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about the um, actual role in a moment. Before I get on to that, uh, Daniel, I'm interested, um, what was the data saying at the time and, and since? I know that you've done a lot of analysis of the data. Uh, what were some of the differences that were coming out in terms of the gender issues? I understand it was quite stark in terms of the amount of boys that were getting into trouble uh, for a whole range of issues as opposed to girls. Is that right? I think, yeah, it's probably worth saying at this point that we're not unique in that regard. I think we have where boys are overly represented in a lot of data in a lot of schools. And so by us being able to look at that, yeah, it's probably close to three to one in regard to referrals that were for negative consequences, boys to girls. And it was for often sort of misdemeanor stuff, but it was regular and, and it was around poor choices or poor behaviour. And so they came out quite a lot in that data, which was unfortunate, but it wasn't new to us, and it's probably a challenge that every school faces. It's about what we then do as a whole school to look at that and and what are the strategies we can put in place to make it sort of of better. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? It's a good point that you made there about, you know, the data was saying one thing. The challenge then for schools a lot of the time is they do look at they do look at what's happening, they discover what's happening and then actually following through and doing something about it is the hard bit, isn't it? And so mm. so you've taken that leap, if you like. Um, can you explain a little bit about the existing behaviour management systems then and strategies uh, prior to this trial? What kind of things were happening already in, in the sphere of behaviour management? And I'm thinking particularly for boys. Yeah, prior to the trial, it was pr- probably pretty traditional. Uh, lots of detentions that were happening with students. So you'd have a, a regular process, you'd get a classroom detention for misdemeanours. If you didn't attend that detention, you get an additional one. And then if you didn't attend that one, you might end up with an ARVO, or, sorry, an after-school detention. Or yeah, then if you were persistent or continued disobedience, then you'd, you'd more than likely end up in a, in a suspension scenario. So it was really punitive. And mm-hmm. so we had lots of students who were going along that channel pretty quickly and they were being funnelled along and there wasn't a place for them to sort of bail out at the side and that's where we had to start thinking about a couple of things. And so this came along at, the, at a really healthy point for us to be able to do something. At the same time, we had to invest in time to be able to also reward boys positively. The the thing that probably changed close to a decade ago is that a new principal, and, and he is responsible for a lot of the change that happens. He's, he's, he's at the forefront of making sure things work for boys but also for girls. And the strategies, I think it's worth noting here, they're not specific just to our boys. We Any strategy that's worth doing is worth doing for both the boys and the girls. And so we try and mimic that across and with the girls' uh, supervisor going at the same time and making sure we, we, we match that up. Uh, so um, under the New South Wales system, uh, a, a girls' mentoring role already exists as, as part of that system. And, uh, and, and so what you were wanting to do was to supplement that with a similar one for the boys as well. And, and we mentioned that uh, the school volunteered for a trial programme which is called Top Blokes Mentoring Program. Um, tell me about the program, Andrew, and uh, and what happens. The program runs once a week. We have um, I put together groups of boys, and once a week they will meet for an hour with um, youth workers from the found, uh, Top Blokes Foundation, and they'll go through 
a range of different issues. They talk about cyberbullying, um, being safe online, conflict resolution, um, healthy relationships, positive relationships, drug use, risk-taking. So they, they go through a whole range of things. A lot of the stuff that we cover in um, Year 7 to 10 Peter HPE. But the, the difference is, the point of difference is... Um, I put the groups together based on um, sometimes it's referrals from the principal, the deputies, the wellbeing um, staff, as well as year advisors, and also just my sort of general knowledge of, of the boys that are in um, in our school. And the groups are probably about eight to ten in number, so that means that they're um, able to sort of discuss things in a pretty open and safe environment. That they don't feel like they're going to be judged if they've got a question or if not sure about a certain issue and they can ask those questions. And so once a week they meet, they work through, um, it's a 16-week program, but they work through, um, as I said, those different topics. And we have a graduation at the end where at our school the boys get a hoodie and um, we only had one uh, two days ago and it was a, a quite, a, quite a happy and a very proud time. But that, in a nutshell, is what we do with our boys. Initially, when we first came in with the program, I was a little bit nervous. Oh, I'd never sort of anchored a program or coordinated a program like that. As I've sort of um, been coordinating the program after the first couple of years, I, I sort of figured out a little bit of a formula. Um, obviously, I looked at the referrals that the deputies and, and the other um, staff gave me, well-being staff and um, year advisors, but then I started looking more closely at the boys and the relationships that existed between them in terms of peer groups or, or friendship groups. And I just found the way that if you can put together a, a good group of young men who feel comfortable with each other, um, that just leads to a lot of positive outcomes in terms of their learning. Next Tuesday, I'm going out with our four groups with another teacher. We're going to bubble soccer and going to take them out as a part of their celebration of what they've done throughout the year. But the groups have got just a real bond or a real connection with each other um, that has come from the program, I believe, mm -hmm. um, and it just shows in the way that they interact with each other and the way they um, they choose to respect each other, not only in like, the playground but just in general conversations and such. How many boys would be going through the program each year, roughly? On, you know, on well, this year, this year we, um, we stepped up a notch. In the past, I would run through probably about eight, eight to ten kids in semester one and eight to ten kids in semester two. But this year we've doubled those numbers. And so um, we put about 40 boys through the program and we did it slightly differently this year. We brought top blokes in and instead of me saying, you know, would you like to do this group, we got top blokes to pitch it. So the um, youth workers came in, they spoke about the program, spoke about what they wanted to, you know, to do with the kids and, and all the different places they're at. And I just said to the boys who would like to be a part of this program this year. And I took the names down, took down probably about 50 names. And um, away we went. And so we've actually, yeah, close to probably 45 kids who have actually gone through the program this year. And that's doubled the number than what we normally do. And I haven't had any trouble filling those places. I've got a rule. It's not compulsory. If you go there and it's not for you, you don't have to stay. I don't yep. believe in forcing kids to do welfare programs because, like, if I was a kid, I wouldn't want someone forcing me to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but in saying that, oh, maybe two kids this year dropped out and said, no, nah, it's not for me. But, um, yeah, it, it's been a really successful year this year. Mm -hmm. So giving them that responsibility and choice as well. Just on that, that responsibility, and it's something that's above my desk, I think 
you, you have to give people responsibility and, and young men responsibility. That's the problem. We expect young men to be responsible, but often we don't put them in positions of responsibility. So sometimes we're asking kids to do things that maybe they haven't done before, haven't got the skill set, or in the case with boys, sometimes they've made some poor decisions in the past and we sort of bring that over, oh, no, we can't do that, we can't expect you to do that. And often a lot of the kids that I work with, it's not so much um, that they haven't got leadership skills or they're not responsible, it's a maturity thing. And it's about balancing, you know, when you give them that responsibility. But our trip we're going to um, next Tuesday has been organised by them. So I get, got them all in a room the other day and there was close to 40 of them and I said, well, we have to go away on Tuesday. Where are we going? The first year we did it, um, the smaller group, we went and did hang, hang dog climbing, indoor rock climbing, which was great because it teaches them to work with a friend, be responsible um, and, and, and be positive and encouraging. The next year we went to um, an indoor trampoline place where they you know, jump around and, and do stuff that you know boys and girls like to do. And this year we're going to bubble soccer. So... I find if if you tell someone what to do, well, I'll do it. But if you give them the option to have some sort of input, and when I say input, that includes ringing up, finding how much it's going to cost, what train are we going to get, where are we going to eat for lunch, um, what other activities are we going to do on the day, what time we're we getting off the train. And I, and I put that in their hands, and then they report back to me, and they say, sir, this is what we'd like to do. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a part of the program. When it first came in, the Top Blokes program had... Um, an activity or some sort of event that the kids had to organise at the end. And that's something that I've maintained. I think one of the most important parts of what we do in terms of the skills that we build, skills of cooperation, connectedness, teamwork, you know, conflict resolution, all those things they talk about in Top Blokes, comes out when they organise. We call the Top Blokes Big Day Out. And, um, yeah, there's a bit of work in it for the kids, not so much for me. I'll sort of check over the top of stuff to make sure things are fine. But I just think if you give someone responsibility, then they've got greater um, greater sort of responsibility in terms of the way they choose to use that power they've been given. And the program's really good for doing that. Mm-hmm. And a bit more buy-in, I should imagine. Um, just... Uh, just to clarify then, are these uh, sessions outside teaching time? This is a challenging thing. I put 10 kids in a room with two um, youth workers and I, I'm, the way my timetable worked out this year, I was teaching during those periods. Whereas in the past, I would come up and spend you know, the first 10 minutes. So basically this year, I haven't been able to have that flexibility to be in the classroom as often with them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm, I'm relying on these boys to behave. Because if they don't, well, that's not going to look good for them and it won't look good for our school. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, it, it's done during the school week. They miss out on one period a week, but they do know, and I sort of email teachers every morning um, to let them know when the period's on and that if they're missing work, they're expected to go to class if it's an assessment task or a task yeah. is due. And I um, there's follow-up there from me. But, um, yeah, it's run totally during in-school time. Coming up, we'll be hearing more about the mentoring approach at Dapto High School. But first, here's a quick message from our sponsor. You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by Monash Education's new Master of Educational Leadership. Develop your professional knowledge and skills to reach your full potential as a leader. 
Flexible learning options allow you to continue to work while studying. Visit monash.edu forward slash education forward slash lead for more information or to apply now. So, Daniel, what kind of impact has it had on, on we mentioned those uh, behaviour incidents earlier on, what kind of impact has it had since you started doing the programme? Look, I think you know, there's a whole range of stuff there. The investment we make in these young men and, and their program is quite significant. And whilst we see some turnaround in regard to who's got less referrals or, or those kinds of outcomes, the... That, that's kind of really clear quantitative data. The qualitative data is that these are young men who weren't making very good choices and most times the responsibility that they felt was that it was someone else's fault when things went wrong. The qualitative data is that all these young men after the program take responsibility for themselves. So previously, if they were in trouble in class, they'd say, oh, it was the teacher's fault, I did this wrong. After the program, the kid says, when you speak to them, you did this, you made this poor choice in class. I say, yeah, I, I got it wrong. Oh, yeah, I shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah, the teacher was right. And that qualitative data, you're never going to be able to measure it. But that's the big thing that comes out of our boys uh, participating in the program, and that's such a significant outcome for us. Uh, quantitative data-wise, we see significant change. We see referrals go down from students. We see that... Um, cost-saving analysis we did as part of a case study with for the top blokes saw some significant savings in the number of referrals they get to the head teacher or the deputy principal or the principal or suspensions and that redu reduction in cost is quite significant. The other flow and effect is that if those boys are making better choices in classes then that means that there's 24 other students who are better off because that young man's participating in the program. And again, we can't measure that one, but we know it happens. And classes are calmer and better off because these young men are participating. Mm -hmm. And you've mentioned there about it, it impacts everybody and there's benefits to everybody. Of course, we need to point out, Daniel, that um, it's not just the Top Blokes program that you're involved with. I'm guessing this is part of a whole suite of strategies and different measures, if you like, aimed at improving behaviour and management at the school. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, like most of us and like every school there's always a range of people who do, who do different jobs in the school and I guess here Andrew and I have given massive raps to our, our boss here our principal Mr Fitzsimons and it's he's a special man and I mean that very respectfully in the fact that he shakes every kid's hand that comes in the doorway and you know looks and says g'day that's the starting point of kids knowing that someone when they turn up at school someone cares about them um, and he insists upon that as a, as a process for his, his three deputies that we need to be visible in the school as much as possible so the kids can say good day and see that we're human beings and that is just a nice culture that he has built into us as a school and that's why things like this work but beyond that there's all the, the processes that are supported by having a strong wellbeing team which is, consists of your advisors head teacher wellbeing school counsellors, the boys' mentor, the girls' supervisor, they all then exist at different levels as well as teachers and individual mentors that exist uh, on arrangement with students. That's then supported by timeout cards. Some call, in some schools they call them brain breaks or, or calm cards, uh, but we call them timeout cards. We have monitoring cards that students can volunteer to be on and that all links back to those having good relationships with parents. And so we insist upon, you know, if it's teacher's having a challenge with a student or the student's making regular poor choices in that class, then we 
coach the, t- the teacher to make sure that they're making contact with the parent as well so that when they do get the phone call from their teacher, the deputy, they're, they're looking for solutions with us as opposed to us having to sort of find fault with what's going on with their young person. These are young men that uh, they don't know what they're doing at times because they're young men and, and there's a lot of going on in their bodies. So we try to support them as much as we can through through that then there's regular checkups, so there's the regular wellbeing meetings, the regular learning support meetings to just to analyse and, and, and check up on the data so that when Andrew's making the choices about who goes together in the groupings for top blokes, he's got all the best data he can so he's not sort of flying blind or making it up as he goes. Mm-hmm. So again, making that informed decision as as the leadership team as well. It sounds to me from what you've both been talking about today that um, at the heart of this model and for your school is very much about relationships and building positive relationships between both students and students, between students and teachers, but also with the parents as well? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And that's where um, Andrew Horsley, uh, he's a significant player in this about making sure those relationships exist. He's a good advocate for young men. Um, but at the same time, the, the, the executive team, this, it's fair to say that these sort of programs have also not gone without hiccup. There's been times when it's not been as smooth sailing as we would like it to be, <laughs> but the senior executive make a choice which says, actually, we trust you to make the right decisions, and even though we don't think this is the best lesson that you've had, we're making an investment, and so we're expecting things to go wrong, and as a result, we want to keep trying, and we, we forgive and we forgive and we forgive. And I guess that probably brings us to another point if, if I can expand. So the monitoring card is an example. If a student has been suspended, they, they're on a certain level of monitoring card and that will exclude them from certain things. But we try and minimise that because we're not interested in the idea of double punishing a student. So if a student has had a young man, especially has had a couple of detentions, but he's served those detentions, he shouldn't then be precluded from another event that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can form that habit. Well, actually, this student's been a naughty kid for the last three months we therefore can't take him on this excursion in a month's time because we can't trust him. We won't have the opportunity for him. Done your time. You've now got a clean slate. And we try that every term with every young man and young young woman in our school, that they get a clean slate as, as regularly as possible so they can have these opportunities because by them being good learning and good learning opportunities, we've got a better chance of impacting them in their wellbeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to pick up on a word there that you mentioned earlier, Daniel, which was investment. Um, There has been a lot of time and effort uh, put in, and money, of course. It's a big thing to create an additional role, and that has to come from the, you know, from the budgets and so on. So that's that's a big thing to do in terms of cost um, investment. And you mentioned earlier there have been savings. I understand that's actually quite big savings. It's nine times the saving. Is that right? I think that's what the uh, the analysis was that yeah. we were presented as part of the case study. Yeah, it's it's, it's pretty humbling when you see it uh, in that kind of stark figure. And that's just the quantitative data, yeah. not the qualitative data. Yeah, and as you say, you know, beyond that, there's the time, the effort, and also, you know, the benefits for everybody involved. Um, so it sounds like things are, are running smoothly. You say there's been a few hiccups along the way, uh, and you've 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 got this program up and running now, and you've got this new role created. What's in the pipeline for 2020? Anything new happening there? We're about to head into the next school year. I'll start and throw to Andrew, but it's an interesting point because when we were preparing for this this interview, we, we were reflecting on a whole lot of stuff that's happened and 
we think, well, actually, this is what we're doing, and actually, maybe we should be doing this differently. Or so it's this even this conversation of actually stopping and taking stock is quite a significant factor for us. I think what we will be doing better uh, is making sure that we match those groupings, and so we can get better bang for our buck. Lots of programs talk about scaling and making everything scalable. The the challenge with top blokes is if it gets too big, then it becomes a bit passe. It mm-hmm. still needs to be special. Um, and I say special because these, these young men need to be cared for in the same way as the young women. It also means our, our, our women's program needs to be continued at the same rate of knots. Mm-hmm. And Andrew, uh, what plans have you got for uh, the coming year then? So, look, I look at the role and, and the way I'm running at the moment is to maintain what I'm doing with the Top Blokes program. We've also recently this year started the Rock and Water program. With, that's with our year eight boys, and that's been successful as well. But on the bigger picture, I see this role as being not only for students, but also staff as well. And so I, I feel a, a greater sense of freedom to talk about men's health this year um, in National Men's Health Day, I, I was able to get up on assembly and, and speak about um, men and um, some of the challenges we face. And I, f- I felt that by the boss giving me um, this role, that I was, I was, I felt empowered to get up and speak about that. And also, when I send out emails and things like that to staff, I always send something out to do with mental health or physical health, um, just so it's not just the kids. Oh, I see that. The more we can do in terms of helping others in our school, uh, a happy teacher teaches in a happy classroom usually. And so if we can you know, say, take a bit of time to reflect and look after our own health, whether it be mental, physical, social or spiritual, I think the benefits are going to be um, far-reaching for not only for the, the teacher but for the student. So continue to work with Top Blokes Program, continue to do the Rock and Water Program. I do a lot of initiatives with boys. Um, we've, we rode around the, the lake two weeks ago, Ride for the Rain, and that was 30 boys um, doing good things to raise money for people who are drought-affected. Um, also, a lot of the sports I work in, we do a skate park one, which is predominantly boys. And so just immersing myself in that culture um, and, and just trying to um, to get guys to think a little bit about their health and, and how they're travelling and, and the, the, the um, decisions that they're making. So I think you, know, you, you can make a difference to a kid um, just by shaking his hand and um, saying good day to him. And I think that's really important. I think there's probably another point that we really want to sort of uh, try to advance, and that's the idea that we need to support these young men also in their learning outcomes, not just in regard to their well-being. We can mistake the one for the other, and the, the challenge for us, and we, it's been acknowledged more recently, how we need to make sure that we're looking after them in regard to their... Not to I'm not saying they're not performing academically, but if we continue to expand their learning outcomes for these young men, uh, then we've got a better chance of them being able to be good consumers of information in our community, and therefore their health literacy, their decision-making beyond school is going to be so much more improved. And So that's, that's a focus for us in regard to how we, how we change teaching and learning and thinking about some of the things that happen in Top Lokes and Rock and Water and how we put that and thread them through all our curriculum across all our KLAs. And that's going to be a bit of a challenge, but I think it's going to be something that's pretty exciting for us to, to try and work with. 
That's all for this episode. There are almost 150 teacher podcasts in our archive. If you'd like to listen to more, you'll find us by searching Teacher A-C-E-R wherever you get your podcasts. So that might be on Apple, SoundCloud or Spotify. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to the channel by clicking the purple subscribe button on Apple, the green follow on Spotify or the orange follow on SoundCloud. A reminder that by subscribing, you'll ensure that new podcasts land in your feed as soon as they're available. You'll also get a notification straight to your device, which is really handy for making sure you never miss an episode. You're listening to a podcast from Teacher Magazine, supported by Monash Education's new Master of Educational Leadership. Develop your professional knowledge and skills to reach your full potential as a leader. Flexible learning options allow you to continue to work while studying. Visit monash.edu forward slash education forward slash lead for more information or to apply now.